All right. Starting over. Oh, oh I feel stupid. <laughs> it's the first one, man. Disneyland didn't, you know, didn't get off the ground right away either. So yeah, you know, you hit, you, you think that I have one job. I have the job of hitting record and we had a really nice conversation. And then oh, uh, it was amazing. Earth shattering stuff. Yeah, no, it's the first one too. This is the first one we've, we've done. Um, you know, the whole, the whole idea of this is I just wanted a, a format to talk about anything I want to talk about, but like, that's, that's so self-serving, but, but it also feels like, um, it, it, it's like I, I would hear somebody uh, on an interview or I would read a blog or something and I would go, the problem is I feel like you've, you're talking to, um, you're talking to the worst version possible of the person you want to talk to, oh, if that makes sense. Sure, like, sure. like, yeah. like, let's say, um, you know, just like uh, that was like Bill Maher. Um, he has that show on HBO, the, the, you know, talks to a bunch of people. And so he'll have like a Christian on, right? But it's like, here's somebody who, who is extreme or um, who is, is so out there that he's an interesting or she is an interesting person. They're a provocateur, but they don't actually speak for like what real Christians believe. Uh, they're kind of on this provocateur fringe. Yeah. Um, so sure. I, I, I was like, I just want to talk to people about stuff and, uh, like and not have, and not have like this, uh, this like fringe agenda going on. Yeah. Um, so right. you're the, you're the pastor of Corvallis Evangelical Church. Uh, you're the Dean of the Pacific Evangelical School of Ministry, which is a in-house graduate program our denomination has, and I am an alumni of, mm -hmm. uh, you were the quarterback of Western Oregon University and Sandy High School here in Portland. Long and, yeah, so uh, that's that's kind of the, your your general uh, bio, but um, you know, just tell us tell us how you got to where you are, and and then you know we'll just keep talking about stuff. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me, Adam. It's good to be here, and uh, yeah, it's fun to talk. Like I think we were talking in the amazing stuff that will never get heard, you know, before the the recording. Like, yeah, a lot of conversations are transactional nowadays, and so it's kind of fun just to kind of like shoot shoot the breeze. I guess is maybe that's what. What that phrase was for so no, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's what that phrase is for yeah that's good so um yeah i pastor in corvallis uh oregon home of the beavers uh and um yeah i love the northwest was born in yakima washington lived in sandy since the age of five my dad uh passed a long time pastor there in sandy my mom was a teacher in the school district there and um and then met my high school sweetheart there uh, we both went to western oregon university uh, in Monmouth, uh, where I got my degree in English literature because I wanted to learn how to read good. Uh, and then uh, spent some time working at the, the Oregon State Capitol, which was fascinating. Uh, and then uh, teaching English over in China. And when we came back, got involved in uh, youth ministry, college ministry at, at a Salem church uh, within the network of the, of the evangelical church um, regional network and um, went, to, went to Portland Seminary. And then made my way down here to Corvallis and did the kind of an intentional transition with a longtime senior pastor here, uh, which was great. Um, and I've been pastoring here for almost 10 years. So a little bit of my little bit of my uh, my journey, my history, and obviously the I only told the good parts. So. Sure. Yeah, the um, the you know, so you you're from Oregon, you lived in China. Um, we're, we're talking earlier about cultural differences and um, I, I, I just curious, what's the big takeaway you had from living? Cause it's difference between traveling. Like you ever, you ever meet somebody that's like, they, uh, they went for like a one week trip to like Mexico or uh, they, you know, they went to, you know, Mexico was great. It was super relaxing. I had yeah. a good time. The beaches are great. It's like, yeah, that wasn't Mexico. <laughs> and the worst thing is if you go to eat with them, because then you'll go to a, a, an inauthentic Mexican restaurant and the, in Mexico, they do this, and they're telling you about this, and I'm, uh-huh. Oh, uh -huh. man. Yeah, we loved our time in China. We, so we actually have a, a, a neighbor who has a, who's from China. He's the trumpet professor here at OSU, and he has a Chinese, authentic Chinese, like, restaurant here in Corvallis. And so, like, we go in there, and it's like we've been transported back to China. But he, you know, he'll say he still has students come in and ask for orange chicken. And, and he's like, I don't make orange chicken. Like, that's not... A yeah. Chinese dish, you know, anyways, but yeah, we loved it. Um, it was so good for us. You know, we'd, we'd been married only a couple years. Um, we'd never lived away from our families really. 
And so it was so good for us to have that experience to, to rely on each other, to rely on other people, to rely on God. And then, you know, to realize like, there's just different ways of doing things around the world. And so oftentimes when we see things that are different, we tend to call them strange or weird or even wrong or evil, you know? And so it's just like when we met these amazing people, these spirit-filled people that loved Jesus, but looked and acted and ate differently than we did, it was like, well, they're just, they're just different. It's just different. And, and we're different to them. You know, we would have people come up because we taught English uh, conversation. And uh, Chinese students would come up and say, you know, if I could just spend a few minutes listening to your accent, that would really help me. And in our mind, we're like, we're from Oregon. Like, we don't have an accent, you know. And, and, but, but again, that was like, well, yeah, in, our, in, our, in the Northwest and what we're used to hearing, it doesn't sound like an accent. But to everybody else in the world, they know exactly what we sound like. So that was, again, just some really good things that we learned early on that, that the world is a place to explore, appreciate, um, fight for, and not something to be afraid of or to fear. So, Yeah, I remember when I lived in England, orange soda apparently sounded very funny to them. If I said those <laughs> words, uh, my accent apparently really kicked in there. That's good. I like it. So it sounds completely normal to me. I mean, I'd call it pop, you know, orange pop, but that's just me. So we could yeah. have a whole hour conversation around pop or soda. I don't know. I don't know. And maybe it's, I think it might've been living in England, but I made a hard transition to soda at some point in my twenties. Yeah. And uh, so that's what I've, it just I, sounds I more adult. You know, I think, you know, yeah. it's, I say it too, cause it pop sounds, I sound like a little kid, you know, and I'm a millennial. So I'm trying to grow up still. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I don't know. Like I, one of the gals in our church found out she was a millennial a couple of years ago and like it super <laughs> bummed her out. Sounds like sounds like a cancer diagnosis or something. <laughs> yeah, um, and it, and I I've just come to terms with that that I that I'm one and and uh, yeah. but I'm not like that's the funny thing is like because I'm I'm on the old I yeah. uh, you know depending we're, we're on the, how we're you the high functioning millennials yes yeah so in so many ways I identify far more with Generation X mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. my, you know because that was like just two years older than me those guys are in that generation and and so. Mm -hmm. um, I understand way more than like, I was trying to explain to a guy who's like eight years younger than me. This is a few years ago, but I was trying to explain to him like when Napster showed up. And <laughs> that's right. I forgot about that. Cause that happened my senior year. And yeah. so like 1999 to 2000, I was trying to explain to him, like we didn't have this. And then suddenly we had this, um, you know, and, and, but he's only, he's a digital native. So he's only lived with, you know, high speed internet with, digital music, um, all of these things. But I remember like somebody, the first time somebody told me about YouTube, uh, hey, you gotta check this thing out. You know, it's like America's Funnest Home Videos, but you know, without Bob Saget. And, <laughs> um, and, and, and then you go, oh, okay, this is a new thing, but now it's so ubiquitous that they, you know, my kids, um, I don't know if your kids have ever done this, but like when they watch a, a movie, you know, set in the past, wait, why don't they just call somebody? Why, why, where's, why, why aren't they turning on the lights, you know? How are they lost on the road? Don't they have MapQuest or whatever, you know? Yeah, no, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't compute for them. They don't, they don't right. get it. Right. Um, and, and, and that's an interesting thing because, you know, you're talking about differences living in, in another country. Sure. Um, and, and not just another country. Cause like when I lived in another country, it was, yes, I'm in another country, but it's Western culture. Uh, you know, I lived in England, it wasn't, you know, and I traveled in Europe, but it wasn't as dramatic as going to a totally different cultural paradigm. Um, but you're dealing with students at PESM who are from all kinds of regions, urban settings, rural settings, you know, uh, Oregon, uh, Montana, Washington, like all kinds of different parts of the West. So uh, you're probably seeing that with the student population, just, you know, this, these kind of not just cultural divides, but geographic divides, um, yeah. demographic divides that kind of thing which i think is uh, a really important part of education you know like to me education is meant to expose you to people that see and think and and even you know obviously for our context within you know orthodox christianity even believe differently about certain things um so so i really like that diversity and i think the some of the tools we're trying to give students then are are recognizing that there are lots of different ways of doing things um, and then to go back into your context and to say, what, what can grow the best 
here, you know? So to realize like that, I mean, I guess I, I, you know, I'm in the Northwest, so I always try to farm. I have four chickens and I have tomatoes that I ruin every year. So I'm always trying to like grow stuff. Uh, so I'm learning, I'm really bad at it, but I'm learning things along the way. And I've thought about that in regards to kind of church and, and communities and again, cultural context. Like, you know, there might be a, there might be a place where apples grow really well in the Northwest. There are, right? Hood River and the Gorge and places like that. Um, but if you were to come down, you know, somewhere and say, well, you need to grow apples here. Like, okay, well, you know, we had, we got some really good tomatoes and cucumbers that we've kind of learned how to cultivate and they're really good. They're like, no, apples are the best. You need to learn how to make apples. It's like, well, the soil here doesn't really, and the, like, if you make good apples, why don't I make tomatoes? Cause you know, like we need salsa too. And, um, so we tend to sometimes, I think, uh, think about church as well, like I've learned how to do this. So let me show you how to do it here. And then it fails. <laughs> and I think one of the reasons why it fails is we're not paying attention to the soil, the context in which we're pastoring. So, um, you know, to think about your local context as beautifully unique um, and that our role as ministers, our role as community leaders is, and as, is to really kind of understand the, the soil, the context, and then plant and water and tend and, and see what fruit can be produced so that the whole, the whole buffet table, uh, you know, can, can, can be full of all the different fruit that God wants to make in his kingdom. Yeah. And, and um, you know, the, just, just beyond that too, like, it's not just cultural or ethnic or even geographic, you know, you could have somebody who's in the same, grew up in the same town, same demographics and all that, but there's 50 years between them. Mm-hmm. And I actually see that as one of the biggest divides we have going right now is that generational divide, you know, between somebody who's, yeah. you know, 30 and somebody who's 60. It, it, yeah. It's massive. Yeah, it's been really interesting here, you know, in being here in Corvallis for 10 years, like we've seen some waves, like in a college town, like there are a lot of young people around, but they also aren't, most of them don't wind up living here after college or graduate school. Um, So we're kind of ascending church, whether we want to be or not. And, um, you know, and again, the church has been here for 150 years. So long before me and God willing, long after me, but you know, the last 10 years, like, you know, one of the reasons I think they did this intentional transition and they brought me down and my family down was because they realized we're, we're getting older and, you know, and it's not that we don't care about, uh, you know, reaching younger people. It's just that we don't really know how, and we don't really know what to do. So they kind of used the, the leadership, used the, the pastoral transition as a chance to do some cultural transition within our church as well. And, and that was challenging. Um, you know, and, and not always smooth and happy and joyful. Uh, but we learned a lot about each other along the way. And, and I think we have been able to make some investments in, in younger, um, people that have then gone on to build the kingdom in other, in other places. Um, and I think we've learned, you know, again, along the way that you, you tend to catch these waves and you tend to just try to pay attention to those waves and steward them well when they come. So our church is, you know, a, a, a big small church that's a couple hundred people um you know big enough to have uh, a few staff and you know and and make some ways but we're not going to have just this like consistent machine of of people and so one of the values that we have in our church is we want to cultivate intergenerational community uh, because we really feel like lifelong followers of jesus whether they're five years old or 25 or 55 or 85 like if we can figure out ways to interact together in the church to cultivate that intergenerational community, that will be a better reflection of the kingdom. Um, and so the college students that have that have landed here, so I'm not necessarily speaking for all young people everywhere, but the ones that have landed here, those is, that's been one of the things that they've said that that's really appealing to me. Um, you know, and a lot of them are maybe upperclassmen, like they they've built the friend base, you know, in the freshman and sophomore years, or they went to the church where there are a lot of college students, which is, is great. Like I'm having lunch with that pastor later today. So it's not a competition thing, you know, but they've kind of started to realize how am I going to make relationships beyond the college, you know, the college thing. So, um, yeah, so that's, I mean, just again, noticing kind of the rhythms of our community generationally, I think, you know, we're, we're, learning right just as we're learning to have cultural competency i think we need to think about generational competency um you know the other interesting thing that's always wrapped up in generations is life stage and so we tend to give 
generational markers to people that are really just in life stage, you know, markers. It's like, well, the, the boomers just want to, you know, pack up the RV and go. It's like, well, yeah, because they're 55 and 65 and retired and, and you know, been looking forward to So it's like, that's a life stage thing. And they're, you know, maybe a certain generation is expressing their life stage in a unique way than other generations before or after them. But we also have to be careful, you know, I think in, in just kind of locating a whole generation within a particular life stage um, and, and ask the, the deeper questions about that. Um, so anyways, I could go, I could go on and on, but I feel like now I'm just kind of no, going off. That's true. Cause it's not just age life stage, but then there's this like, it's almost like a life stage hypocrisy uh, because um, you know, I've, I've talked to older folks who will rail against the, you know, those millennials and, and then, but then if you ask them about their own kids or grandkids, it's like, well, you know, and then all of a sudden the excuses start. And then there's millennials who will rail against the boomers and you say, but aren't you doing the same thing in a different way? Well, no, mm. that's different, you know? And, and so we have like this own, even then we have like this hypocrisy in our divisions uh, where we actually, half the time we're either doing the same thing or condoning the same thing, as long as it's other people will, will rail against it. And right. if, it's our, if it's our people or us personally, then we, we make excuses, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I think definitely, you know, humility is always the, the secret sauce to all of it, yeah. you know? And uh, um, yeah, Rand, Superintendent Randy asked me to, you know, uh, do a blog, uh, a guest blog. So I think, I think my title is, you know, admit it, you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> like, you know, like if we could just do that, first like if i'm secure enough uh you know and 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 full of enough faith to realize i don't know what i'm doing um then then maybe god can start to do what he wants to do it was it was interesting on the way in i was listening to uh you know all the russia ukraine stuff and you know back and forth and it's like well we want you know we want president biden to show strength and this person that was they were interviewing i think it was a republican you know uh representative you could tell they had a very specific definition of strength. Um, and so I was just thinking about that and, and, you know, and I don't, I don't know Joe Biden and I don't, you know, this is, that's way beyond me, but just this idea of church leadership and particularly in, in the, the, the period that we find ourselves in, like, you know, the temptation I think is to, is to be the one that knows the answers and to kind of pick up the flag and lead the charge and, and rally everybody around you, except you don't actually know where you're going. Um, and people that maybe this is, comes back to the generational thing. Like generationally, young people are, are actually suspicious of that type of a leader. <laughs> you know? yeah. So um, I think number one, I think that the model we have from Jesus is actually one of sacrificial, open-handed, uncertain leadership. Um, you know, with a clear value and clear focus, right? Jesus is like, I'm going to do my father's will, but I don't always know what that is until he tells me like that, you know, that's a really interesting theological thing to think about. Sure. Um, but if we, you know, if we're willing to admit, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, what do you think I should do? Now we start asking questions or we get on our knees and pray, God, what do you think I should do? That type of leadership, um, for younger generations is I'll, I'll say uber appealing. Like it's, it's really um, because it, it appears genuine. Now I'm sure a generation or two from now, we'll figure out a way to, to, you know, to misuse that. Um, but that type of leadership to me is one that I think we're trying to cultivate here. We're trying to model here. Um, and, and it seems to connect with younger generations. And the, I think, you know, in our church, there when we admit this, there's, it's almost like permission for them also to admit it, you know, that there's been a lot of pressure for them to figure out their life and know what they're doing and know how they're going to spend their money. And then all the stuff, right. is just kind of being dismantled around them. And so to give them permission to say, yeah, actually faith is a willingness to say, you're not sure. And you're not sure what's going to happen. You're not sure what God's doing. You're not sure why God did this and didn't do that. So Anyways, I got in preach mode again, so you got to. No, me. it's 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 good because it's a challenge. Like I've been watching, I've been really obsessed with these um, 
uh, life under zero type shows or like mm-hmm. below zero on, on national, it's on Disney plus or national geographic, okay. but, check but basically, out. you know, here are these people that live out in the middle of nowhere in the Yukon or Alaska or something. And, um, you know, it's negative 30 degrees and, and it's interesting because, um, there's the, the Canadian one, there's this guy who's a first nations up in Northern Ontario, and he talks about his elders and it makes sense because the elders in his in his nation, if you if you make it that long in those extreme conditions, you're you are you are a, a you know bad a like you you, you know <laughs> yeah yeah you, you know how to like kill the bear, right. and and so you've made it that long because you've learned your survival skills and um and whereas like my parents. Like, it's kind of like, it's like I was saying earlier about like the guy was trying to explain like 1999, there wasn't Napster and then there was Napster, right? But like my parents never navigated through some of the, the technological, the ethical, the, the, the economical situation. Like my grandparents certainly didn't. Sure. Uh, you know, I read, I read this thing a couple of years ago. Like my grandfather was a, a school teacher and a reserve army officer in Seattle, Washington in the sixties. For me to have the lifestyle that he had, which was very like very middle class, right? But I have to make like three hundred fifty thousand dollars a year just me mm-hmm. to to equal that kind because of inflation and everything else, right? And so it's a challenge because I think through the like ninety nine point nine percent of human history, the elders were the holders of information, but now we're not necessarily. And I'm putting we in that category because no young person thinks I'm young. Yeah, same here. Yeah, um, but the but the elders were the holders of information, mm-hmm. and now we're not in the mm-hmm. same way because because there's there's uh, stuff like somebody will say, "What about this social media platform?" Like, I don't know, I'm not on it. Uh, right. I, I'm almost never on something if my wife's not on it, and it, it's just a community thing. Like, are my friends on it? No, then. Mm-hmm. So I don't have I don't have the answer in the same way. And that's, that is, I, I think, unappreciated how hard that is, because for almost all of human experience, if you're a certain age, this was the natural role for you. And for whatever reason, in this moment in time, in, in this place, that has gone away in a large chunk. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's how it is. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, we, uh, we've done one of the things we've, we've tried to do with college students and invite them into is, you know, like kind of intentional internships. And, and so what's been fascinating about that, you know, kind of doing a couple revolutions of, of those is like really what they're looking, this is generalizing, right? But really what they're looking for is someone who is willing to listen as they process, you know, a pretty integral part of their life development. Uh, someone who's willing to pray with them, someone who's willing to give advice when asked for, but mostly just time, relational time, because I think they're recognizing that like the, the, so maybe what's shifting, I guess, what made me think of while you were sharing, like, do elders hold information or do they hold survival skills? You know, like, I mean, obviously with this, this nation uh, and elders, it's both, right? These are the, this is the information you need to survive but if we no longer you know carry information because information so ubiquitous and so fast moving and fast changing are underneath all that do we have some survival skills that we can pass along that that maybe even were passed along to us um you know and so like i think about this again within the context of pastoral ministry like i my my parents modeled for me what healthy what healthy boundaries in ministry and family looked like so that when I got into ministry, there were certain guardrails up that I didn't even know were there that I was just operating under, you know, so I'd hang out with some of my friends and their, you know, pastor friends and they're like, this is my 11th night in a row with a church meeting, you know, and my mm. wife's really frustrated. And I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? Why would you do that? You know, and because I just, I would never do that because that wasn't what was modeled for me. Um, but that wasn't modeled for them. And so I realize, you know, as I'm, as I'm getting older, my parents get smarter and smarter. Um, but they've given, they gave me some survival skills that I didn't even know I was having. So that even though now, you know, they didn't have to deal with uh, texting at dinner, 
You know, I remember when the phone would ring in the study uh, on the landline during dinner and my dad would not get up and get it, you know? So, so again, the technology has changed, the information has changed, but that skill or that survival, you know, thing they've, they've passed along to me. and, And now I'm trying to pass it along to my kids, even though it's, you know, it's like, well, you know, I, I'm not going to text, but can I be on the iPad? Can I watch this quick five minute YouTube video? Can I go on my PS4? And, you know, so it's, it's, it's overwhelming as a parent right now because there are so many things, but I think the, the skill or the value maybe is another word that, that is holding generationally so far. So, yeah. And it's, it's not just in not information, but maybe like framework. Um, Like I was talking to a guy in my church who just retired. Uh, we were talking about this the other day and, and I was saying, you know, I said, basically that whatever issue we were talking about, I said, your generation has closed the book on that one. You settled it in your minds collectively. Mm-hmm. And I, and I said, maybe somebody in their twenties, that generation hasn't settled that question. They need yeah. to settle it themselves. And so we, we don't tell them what we've already decided. We just help them process the framework, you know? Um, it's like the whole, like, can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it? And and the answer is yes, but that's a dumb question because (laughs) the the real question that you're asking, is there something God can't do? That's the real question you're asking. And the answer is yes, God can't lie. God can't change. He can't sin. You know, there are things he says, I, I don't do these because I'm God. I just, it's not Mm -hmm. in his nature. Right. And, and so so this deeper question with the rock is really about, is there something God can't do? And if we can go to those deeper things and say like, whatever your question you're asking, I'm not going to tell you the answer so much as I, maybe I can help provide a framework for you um, right. that you didn't have. Cause sometimes you get lost in the weeds and you just focus on these like momentary questions. It's like, I don't, I don't know. Let's zoom out to the big picture. Is there a deeper thing that that we can kind of find some common ground with. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that's really good, you know, and I like, I like watching Jesus, you know, reading the gospels and seeing him interact in these situations. You know, again, I'm, I'm still doing it through my own cultural lenses, so I have to be careful, but it seems like within Jewish culture, there was this, there was this idea. And even still that really the best teachers ask the right questions. They didn't have necessarily the right answers. And so becoming a follower of a rabbi, you know, was, was something that you were going to be asking questions. And in return, they were going to be asking questions back. And so we can see Jesus doing this a little bit and, and we can, and, and I think we can learn from that. Um, And, and yeah, the, the best learning is not necessarily just the download of information from one group to another, but real inquisitive uh, relationship. I'd say, well, what, you know, so this rock question, like, well, what are you really trying to ask? Or what are you really trying to get at? Um, and again, college, I think college students particularly, like that's the world they're in. They're literally in, a, in an environment where everything's being questioned. Yeah. And, and the temptation is to say, well, let me tell you how this really is. But that, that's not, one, it's not helpful. Two, it's not what they're looking for. Three, they don't, they don't know you and any sort of institutional or positional authority uh that you think you have you actually you actually don't like it's we only have relational equity left um with these younger generations uh if anything i start i start net negative when i when i come out as a pastor um you know when i say this is what i do and now because that that is an institutional positional role that has that has been abused or misused or caused harm I'm, i'm now actually suspicious so I have to do a lot of, you know, relational uh, trust work in order to just be heard in someone's life, you know, which I think, again, we all need to earn that right to be heard. But as pastors and leaders to shift this idea that I've got the answers and if people will just come to me and ask me, I'll tell them the answers. It's like, no, you need to go to them, invest in their life and relationship and journey with them as they're going through their faith development. Yeah. And that, that to me is like, because we're, we're pastors, so we're speaking about being a pastor, but this is true for parents, grandparents, uh, people who are just old, uh, uh, and above 40 in the church. Yeah. Yeah. You know, totally. Uh, and, uh, 
I mean, older, older and younger is this funny thing. I, I have this thing because uh, I do music, you know, and so, you know, I'll say the, the word rocking, right? So somebody's <laughs> saying, hey, this song, we're going to, it's going to be really rocking. And the bass player is like thinking about like White Snake. And then, you know, the drummers thinking about Nirvana and the, and the keyboard players thinking about Amy Grant, right? Like these are not <laughs> the same things, but everybody's definition of, of rocking is different. I think the same as old and young, like, you know, um, I was, I, I've, I have a couple of times had conversations recently, in fact, with older pastors who talk about young people in their church. And then I've, I've said, I know those people, none of them are under the age of 55. Right. But because they're younger than they are, they think of the young people in their church, right? Uh, yeah. And, and, uh, and then at the same time, like we think of older folks and like, sometimes like you go, oh, wait, shoot, that's me. <laughs> like, right. I, you know, I'm gonna be 40, like in two weeks, you know, like I'm, I am not this young guy and my identity, I think at one point was built definitely 10 years ago, it was built on being the young kind of change agent provocateur. Yeah. Um, and that goes away real quick. Real quick. Real yeah. quick. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. And I think you stumbled on something else, like this idea that um, language is, you know, one of these places where we think we're talking about the same thing and we're really not like it never, you know, it never ceases to amaze me how easy it is to miscommunicate. Um, and like when we think about, uh, so, uh, if you ever have Jeremiah Duncan on, he, he has this great little thing about high context and low context cultures. And I don't know if you've heard about this, but like yeah, high context cultures, it. yeah. Are where, explain it, explain it. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'll do a good job, but high context cultures are where, you know, I can use certain words or I can do certain things where everybody's understanding it and we don't have to clarify, we don't have to talk about it. So it could be like a, like a movie reference or a social reference or even a social cue. So actually in China, we experienced this, like, China's a high context culture and we didn't know it. And so people, like we didn't know what people were thinking. And in Chinese culture, generally, you don't say what you're thinking. <laughs> like mm -hmm. you have to infer it. You have to pick up the cues. You have to understand the cultural dynamics and all these things. And so that was one of our primary frustrations was we were coming from a low context culture that even in the Northwest values, just tell me how it is, be direct, say it straight. Um, and, and we really struggled with that. And again, that was one of the differences we had to learn. So low context cultures are, you know, you basically have to explain the words you mean. You got to keep references to a minimum. You got to keep, you know, you got to keep social cues to a minimum because you're in such a, such a, you know, uh, amalgamous, you know, context that everybody could mean different things. Like you said, by the word rocking, it's like, well, here's what I mean by rocking. I mean, was it snake, white snake? I don't know who that is, you know? So, so again, like I'm lost on it. I'll go Google white snake later and rock out, I guess. But they, yeah, were, those, they were a band in the eighties. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I just grew up listening to Amy Grant, Michael W. Smith, but Garrett, Garrett didn't, my worship pastor didn't. And so like he, he grew up listening to good music growing up. So, but every once in a while I have to send him stuff from Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith. That is like, good music. I feel like he knows me better if I share those things with me. Like, you know, um, I can't find my place in this world without Michael W. Smith. I, well, I mean, that was a hit, but that was a crossover hit. Like, that's true. That's, that's true. The, that's the thing. It's hard to, I think it's hard sometimes for people to process. Like I'm in some Facebook groups that are devoted to like 80s and 90s Christian music. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's one that's basically a bunch of people our age who grew up listening to this stuff. And, and it's basically like, imagine that you grew up and all of your friends were watching like He-Man and these car, you know, cartoons on, on Saturday morning. Um, and then you weren't allowed to watch He-Man because <laughs> your mom decided that that was a, you know, satanic somehow. <laughs> and, and so you, you watched McGee and me. Yeah. I and, remember McGee and me. Or, or those, um, you remember those Hanna-Barbera like Bible adventure stories where like these kids these kids traveled through uh, like some Egyptian sand magic and now they like randomly appear in Bible stories. <laughs> is that Adventures in Odyssey? Is that the no, you're no, about? that's oh, called, different. I think it's called Grace Adventures. Adventures of Odyssey is another oh. thing. This is exactly the same thing. Like, right, right. There's a whole generation of church kids that grew up listening to these 30 minute old time radio adventures. Yeah. And we love them. Like even like yeah. the most jaded ex-church kid 
right, right. Like they, even the most jaded one, I've never heard somebody say those were bad or that they hated them, right? Yeah, interesting. And mm -hmm. so I'm in this Facebook group where these there are people like me who are still, we follow Jesus. We, we're not necessarily like in the same place with Christian culture, but we, we, we have this connection to the music. But then there are these people who are on all kinds of ways have left the church. Mm -hmm. But they, who else are they going to talk about the first time that, that they heard, um, you know, Jeff Moore in the distance with, and, <laughs> and it's, and it's like, nobody is going to understand that. Right. Like right. imagine, imagine Huey Lewis in the news, like eight years too late. And that's yeah. what I was experiencing. <laughs> that's good. That's really interesting how the Christian subculture that was so formative for many of us like is somewhat unrelated to you like our our actual faith development like you know it's it's like as parents you think well if i if my kids watch these things they'll become good christians yeah and it's like now nah, those no it doesn't work that way you know no. and uh, no. it doesn't mean that it's not still not good thing better maybe positive or better messaging than other options but you know we've you know, as you know, we got a kid, we have twins that are 12 and then another daughter who's 10 and another daughter who's one. And so just watching and trying to, trying to navigate, help them navigate their own faith development is a, is terrifying. Um, watching, you know, our friends who have kids that are you know, like, you know, they're not kids anymore. They're in college now and they're better parents than we'll ever be. And some of their kids are like, yeah, I'm opting out, you know, of, of this whole faith thing. That's terrifying. Yeah. Um, and you just realize like, it's, it's just this cruel cosmic trick that you, you have very little control over, <laughs> over how your kids actually, what they choose to believe and, and how they actually, you know, navigate that. Um, yeah, that, you know, a really interesting comment um, that we got, uh, you know, we, when I came to the church five years ago, and then we had sort of a, you know, you get a new pastor, young pastor, Mm -hmm. Our our transition was not as intentional as yours was, sure. Um, and and so we had a, a certain exodus, and they tended to be people in kind of their mid fifties, mm -hmm. um, young enough to move churches, but old enough that they wanted it a certain way. And yeah, yeah. Um, but the the matriarch of one of the families is still with us, and I love her, and she's she's one of our like most solid members, you know. Mm -hmm. But but what comment I heard was if her husband was still alive, he would have made them stay, mm. and and I I doubt that severely doubt that but sure. but there's this idea of control like if he was still here he would have and, and that's not real like my my kids your kids they're spiritual free agents like the best i can hope for yes. is that i like help them to function as human beings so that they know how to do laundry and and uh work hard mm -hmm. um, and and i want them to like believe that i want them to say like my parents faith is genuine you know, because there, yeah, there's a lot of kids good. who say like, yeah, I grew up in church, but, you know, my parents, whatever, you know, it, it, like the difference between, you know, their parents as churchgoers and them as not churchgoers isn't huge. And so, right. you know, that kind of um, genuine faith at home right, is something I think about a lot. Like, who cares what I do at church? Like, what am I doing at home? Is, is faith genuine at home? That's good. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think you, I think we can't underestimate how influential we are in our kids' lives, yeah. you know. But yeah, it's a difference between influence and control. You know, it's like, well, I'm not going to be able to control the decisions they make and the the those their spiritual free agents in that sense. But I will model for them, and they will look to me, you know. Um, and 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 sometimes they'll choose to go their own way with it. So again, I don't have control, but but I think we do have tremendous influence. And how we navigate our own spiritual journey, how we model that for our kids, and and like you said, the the consistency between uh, community engagement and what happens in our home. And if those aren't if those aren't in alignment, then I think that's that's a that's a tough message for kids to process. So I think I think it's one of the advantages that our age has because we are just old enough to see the results of the previous generation. Um, so you know. When I was in when I was in uh, college, uh, I was in Bible college. The dean, uh, the the dean of, of the Bible college, his kids were all like lower high school to upper elementary age, homeschool, super sheltered, uh, and 
they have all gone off the rails, mm -hmm. just all of them. And I'm not saying it's his fault, you know, but it's mm -hmm. this idea that that will protect them from, from a life of, of rebellion to God. It's just not real. Right. It, it, I'm not saying it didn't protect them, like maybe in middle school, like, mm -hmm. it, and there, and so there's some value maybe to that, but like, it didn't protect them versus, um, you know, the, uh, my pastor's kids growing at the church I grew up at, uh, he, you know, they were my age and I watched them go crazy, uh, not, not sheltered. Um, and they just went nuts, but now they're all, pa all four of those kids are pastors. <laughs> wow. Interesting. And, and, uh. um, and, and it's, it's this kind of thing where you say like, you know, my, my youngest brother didn't become a Christian until he's 23. Uh, my middle brother's still not a Christian. I've been a Christian my whole life. And, mm -hmm. and we all grew up in the same Christian home. So you just yeah. realize, but, but we had the benefit of seeing this, like, you know, you, you'd hear it from the homeschool only crowd or from the Christian school only crowd or from this. It's like, we've seen that it doesn't work. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and, and so we have, we have the advantage. I think sometimes we're not as charitable to that generation before us because they didn't have the advantage of, of having somebody try it out for them. Sure. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that's, that's good. I think that's, a, I think there's a lot of good wisdom in that. And, and there's, again, it's freeing and terrifying, yeah. you know, um, but it, it may be the, you know, again, it may be this thread, you know, that we're, that we're maybe finding ourselves in of like, well, what's our responsibility in passing, in passing, if we're the elders, which yeah. is also terrifying, like it's passing down some survival skills and it's, and it's, it's really not about information. It's really not about, um, you know, tools. So, so again, like we, you know, we've been doing uh, the Art of Pastoral Leadership course at PESM this year. I've been overseeing that. And this is the first year that, that I've been the dean that, that this class has come up. And so it was really interesting to kind of say, okay, how do we do this? Like, how do we train, how do we train people for, for ministry and particularly not just in the school as a whole, but, but in this pastoral leadership class, you know? And, and again, when we talk about high context, like or low context, I say pastoral leadership, and everybody has their own idea of what that looks like, mm -hmm. um, that they've collected from, you know, their own local pastor to Mark Driscoll or whoever. Um, so, you know, Karen and I have talked about, like, building some competencies, three, con three competencies, you know, as, as pastors, and really, they're areas that you're going to continue to be, be failing, learning, growing, reading, and but we talked about, you know, sustainable soul care. So this realization that if you don't care for your own soul and your and the and and the relationships of your family, your spouse, like it doesn't matter what else you do. Um, I think that's some a survival skill we're learning in ministry. That it's like unless my family is healthy, I'm not saying your family has to be perfect, or, you know, or all together. In fact, usually health is the opposite of those things. Um, but unless I'm 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 practicing like the same soul care um like these other pieces aren't going to come together the other competency we've talked about is um is stewarding sacred moments so i think that's one of the best best parts about pastoral ministries we get to be a part of sacred moments in people's lives but in those if we have the temptation or the or the insecurity where we have to provide information or answers we can wind up doing harm you know so we talked a lot about crisis care and you know, the things not to say when you're, when you're with yeah. someone who's grieving. Um, and then the third one is just shepherding people and the dynamics of people. And the dynamics of people are not different in the church than they are anywhere else. And so we talk about systems and leadership and understanding, you know, um, conflict and relationships and all those things. So, but again, it's like, as we come to kind of the end of this class, it's like, man, I don't, we didn't get, I don't know if we gave them enough, like I, we probably didn't, but they're going to have to navigate this now as they go out into the real world. And so I, I think about that as, as a parent as well. It's like, gosh, I hope I gave them a few things to take with them. But some of the, some of the friends I mentioned earlier who have, who have, you know, kids that have walked away or kids in adult, you know, adulthood, I've asked them like, how do you, what do you do? How do you navigate this? You know, and they've said things like, I'm going to maintain the relationship with my kid, no matter what, no matter if we disagree, no matter if there ain't like, I'm going to stay in relationship with them and I'm going to be there for them, not in a codependent or enabling way, but I'm, I'm going to be there for them, no matter what happens, if they walk away from the faith, if they, if, you know, so I thought that was admirable um, and maybe a, maybe a survival skill that I'm trying to pick up from the, 
from the from the elders above me, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I am um I am very obsessed and fascinated both are the wrong words, but I'm very <laughs> in tune with the concept of exvangelical right now. Um uh-huh. because some of my friends are choosing to identify that way. And then um because some of my friends it just that's the an accurate definition for them. Um and so I I'm very into, and, and one of the things I've kind of found because so many people that I know my age grew up in the church and now they're just out there um, is that idea of relationship. Like I'm always going to listen. I, I, I talk about this a lot on um, this 20 minute Bible study podcast that I do for our church, you know, where um, if somebody just wants to yell at a pastor, like if they had a really, really horrible, uh, abusive, toxic kind of church upbringing, and they just want to like tell somebody and I don't get to talk, like explain it or anything. I just have to listen to it. I have a standing offer. I'll do that. I'll, I'll let somebody yell at me on behalf awesome. of that. And so I think you have, cause I think you have to acknowledge the deep hurts that have gone on and, and the, um, I always want to believe they're well-intentioned, but really, you know, well-intentioned, terrible things that people have done within the church, mm-hmm. um, you know, putting shame or guilt or, or whatever on people who are not listening or, mm-hmm. and at the same time, like while having that openness and listening, like you gotta, you gotta speak truth to the lies because I'm finding that a lot of my friends, there's revisionist history or there's gaslighting going mm-hmm. on. And I don't know if you're seeing this uh, where you're at, but you know, I had, I have a I had this kind of classic story I tell is I have this friend who posted on Facebook years ago about like his horrible, you know, uh, legalistic conservative church upbringing. And I'm like, your parents were hippies who like homeschooled you. Yes, you were a homeschooled Christian kid, but it was like, all right, today we're going to draw our feelings and then we're going to write a play. You know, it was like, <laughs> it, it was like this, I, you know, like this, this very loving home and, yeah. and i and i know that family well enough over enough years to go like were they perfect no but it's not what you're describing what you're describing is something out of a movie that you you're trying to tell people that's and then you're you're gaslighting everybody mm-hmm. um and and so there's this i you know like another couple friends of mine uh, i've known them for years they just have kind of renounced the faith in the last year mm-hmm. and and the wife who posted this thing about this you know, horribly abusive church experience she had in our youth group. And I read it and I showed it to my wife and I said, look, I'm, I'm a guy, you know, I, I wasn't, I, I get the dynamics. I wasn't treated the same. You know, you were a woman in that youth group. Like, what do you think? And she's like, yeah, like obviously this youth leader was like super immature in how they handled things or maybe like wasn't, wasn't great, but they were just telling you like what the Bible says ultimately. And, and, and like the, the gaslighting part comes in for like, Hey, where was your family in this? Hey, where was, you know, like you're putting all the blame on, on this one person you want to target. And if anybody wants to ask you a question, there's no willingness to engage right. the other way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you're better at, I think you're better at watching those, those trends than me. Like I, I'm not a good, I'm not a good social media observer or participant. Um, it is, it is interesting to watch, you know, how, uh, normal faith development and I think a broader, you know, American church crisis have kind of coalesced and aligned to create a really, um, a really interesting season in the life of the church. I mean, I think, you know, you, you, you did church in London, we've done church in the Northwest. This is not a new thing to us. Um, I think it's becoming a newer thing to, to different parts of America that are in a different part of this crisis timeline. And so it feels new again, but, but a lot of the conversations, people are like, this is happening and all this is happening and all this is happening. And it's like, okay, yeah, it's happening. And, it, and it's sad and it's hard, but, but I tend to, yeah, the inflammatory, the gaslighting, the, the, the word, I'm throwing these words around and things like that um it's like okay great you know and again i i I, my baseline is um a little bit optimistic i'm also conflict avoidant and so it's so i feel like like optimistically avoid hard things (laughs) um you know but ultimately like i'm not gonna be able to change any of no 
No. But what I can change is the conversation that I have with a 20 year old who says, you know, tell me why this matters. Tell me why following Jesus matters. Sure. And all I can say in a post-truth world is, let me tell you why it matters to me. Yeah. And, and that's still the most, to me, that's still the most compelling thing about following Jesus is it changes my life. It changes your life. Um, and it's not easy and it's not simple. And there, and there's a lot of problems and complexities. So, I mean, so there's all that. And then I think there's a very good reckoning that's coming as far as, or that's happening as far as how do we as pastors promote accountability, health, um, you know, uh, safe places, you know, that, so we need to learn from these stories of abuse, these stories of, of unhealth and, and seek to do no harm as well. So I yeah. don't get to dis, I don't get to dismiss some of these other things where people are saying this happened in my church youth group, or this happened in my, my church culture, uh, Scott McKnight. No. Yeah. Scott McKnight has the book that the church called Tove, um, mm-hmm. that I think is a really good, a really good helpful tool for us as we try to navigate. Okay. If I, if I do hold a position of authority and influence, if I am responsible for shepherding and, and, and caring for vulnerable people in my community, how do I, how do, I do that uh, without the blinders uh, of, of maybe previous generations or just people in different churches? You know, um, how, can, how can I do that better? Um, so, and again, it, 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 it happened. Like that was one of, the, one of the things, you know, that I wanted to work with Ron Johnson because I saw in Ron the type of pastor and leader that I wanted to be. He's a boomer you know, so, but it's like, but he, but he was healthy and humble and learned. And my dad was the same way. So they're out there. They're just not the ones that are going to get the the media attention. Sure. And, and, you know, I, I don't even think it's a generational thing per se, because there's plenty of younger leaders who have done, you know, uh, done things badly. The, uh, and, and, you know, when I talk about like people are ex-evangelical or the gaslighting, like I almost never talk to somebody directly because I have to have like the relational ability to speak into their life. So like the one guy who was telling the story about his horrible, you know, church upbringing, I have the relational capital with him. So I sent him a text and I said, Hey, you know what? You got to think about how that's going to make your mom feel. Cause you know, that's not true. Mm-hmm. And, and he's all right. You know, and he, yeah. just, I said, just text your mom and tell her you love her. Cause she saw that I, man. I, yeah. You know, So I'm not even like trying to make him be a Christian in that moment. I'm just like, Hey man, say hi to your mother, you know, like, right. Just, do something nice there. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I think it's one of those things like it's just knowing like I don't have the relational ability to speak into most of these things. Um, and, and so I want to, I'll, I'll choose where I'm going to speak, but at the same time, like having a, a willingness to like listen, accept, but, but then look for like, well, are, are you really just mad at the church for, you know, it, it's like, it's like people I knew who, um, you know, they went and they, you know, high school and they went and got hammered or, or like they, they sinned sexually or something like that. And then they, you know, came to church. I felt so guilty. Well, it's, that's not the church making you feel guilty. It's you felt guilty, you know, <laughs> like sure. you felt, you felt bad. Yeah. You know, yeah. probably because you were hung over. Right. Made it worse. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Churches are good. Tar- like, you know, I mean, we talked about this, like when it comes to conflict or just, you know, systems like yeah. theory, like, you know, it, trans emotional transference, blame displacement, like churches are really attractive place for people to take a lot of the angst and the frustration and the unhealth that they're dealing with in other areas of their life and project it onto uh, an institution like the church. People do this with the government as well, you know. And, and as pastors, we're representatives of that. And so a lot of the stuff that happens to us is not really about us. Um, and so encouraging, you know, encouraging pastors and leaders, to like, don't take this stuff personally. Try and hear what's behind the, the, the emotion, the anger, the frustration, the accusation, and, and then lovingly pastor people um, through that. Or hold on to the set of values, you know, that you, that you have uh, and stay engaged with that. So, yeah. And it, and it goes beyond just pastors and leaders, you know, parents, grandparents, you know, uh, people who have functional, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of people who have are functional parents to people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, 
I have, uh, there's a lady named Yvonne Murray who um, I have no blood connection to at all, but you know, she was the pastor's wife of the first church I was on staff at when I was mm -hmm. 19. Mm -hmm. And when she just had a birthday and I was like, oh, it's mom. I, I literally thought to myself, oh, it's mom's birthday. That's wonderful. Because that's, that's awesome. how she is. And that's how she is yeah. in my life, you know? Oh yeah. Um, even though she, I don't think she's old enough to be my mom, but like, she's, you know, she just looms that large in my, in my memory. And, right. um, and, and so, um, you know, we have this ability to be that kind of role for a lot of people, uh, whether mm -hmm. we realize it or not. Mm -hmm. I, I want to make a hard shift just because of time, but I, sure. I do want to talk about pessim because Great. Um, I think, I think there's a question of like, well, I don't want to be a pastor, which is a loaded word. Cause I think there's a lot of people who are pastors who have, do not want to be what they the the job pastor or they don't they're not elders but they yeah. want to be, they are pastors but there's a lot of people that go well why should i do that uh you know i'm not going to work at a church um or there's this whole question of like does a pastor actually need it because there's some really terrible pastors who have all kinds of degrees mm -hmm. and uh there's some really great ones who don't so um i, I just want to kind of explain the school explain the purpose of the school and then um you know, we'll, we'll kind of go from there. Sure. Yeah. So our, you know, our mission, our vision is to cultivate reflective practitioners. Um, so it really is a, it's a, it's a training school. It's a vocational for vocational ministry of some kind. Doesn't have to be pastoral ministry. Doesn't even have to be, you know, in a, in a local church, although that's usually our, our aim. Um, but we, so we want practitioners, but we want them to be reflective about the whys and the what's that they're doing. So, um, you know, it's, it, it, it is a graduate level degree program, master's in ministry degree. Uh, and then, you know, it's, it's a three-year program that has uh, 10 credits each year as cohort based. So you get to do it with other people in relationships. Uh, we're able to keep it affordable because of just scholarships and, and endowments. And so that's really an appealing thing right now for higher education is just to keep, keep costs affordable. Um, you know, we're, we're in person, which a lot of people are like, you're, you're going to be dead in 10 years. And I'm like, nah, I think we'll be okay. Like, I think, I think the in-person has a lot of value. Uh, we do some things online, but it's, it's mostly about the relationships and, and then the tools and the training that comes along with that. So, um, so yeah, I think that, you know, our, our goal is to give people a set of tools. So people say, well, why do I really need this? Um, I mean, you might not, if you're like a super awesome, you know, pastor person and have a lot of mentors and training. Um, but the reality is I'm, I'm always trying to learn and grow and in a, in a fast changing landscape, it doesn't hurt uh, to have tools. So the analogy I used a couple of years ago was like, I'm not a handy person at all. Um, like I have a screwdriver and a hammer and that's kind of what, and, and they sit in this like pink like box that I don't know, maybe at some point was like a gift box or something. And, and so that's kind of all I really know how to use and I'm finding I'm learning as I'm growing like having the right tool makes a big difference like it does the job better it's it's more efficient and effective you know and and the reality is a lot of people try to do ministry with this little pink toolbox where they have a hammer and a screwdriver and and there's there's just so many more tools available to you to to do a job well so PESM just tries to give you a basic tool set show you how to use those in a way that doesn't do harm um, and and hopefully stewards and supports the ministry that God's called you to uh, it's not, it's not going to be that ACE hardware, like nine stack of, you know, uh, tools or whatever, like set for life type of a thing. But um, I mean, you, you know, you had some experience with it and, and you already had some great, great Bible college and some great seminary training as well. And I think you're maybe even going to be going on to some more, but it's a piece, I guess, for, for me, I want to always be a reflective practitioner um, you know, why am I doing what I'm doing? How can I do it better? How are others doing it that's effective? So it's fun to be able to be a part of that and build relationships with people that are navigating the call that God has for them. So yeah, some of them are pastoral local church leaders. Some of them are like, I just, I just want to be a great, you know, a great quote unquote lay person. I mean, that's a really weird churchy word. Oh, I hate but, that word. Yeah. But like, I just want to be an effective minister. So ministers yeah. may be the best the best one, like I want to minister well, whatever context God's put me in. And so that's really fun to be a part of the journey and, and support training in, in that way. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, we talked at the beginning about like living in different cultures and 
what one of the things I think it'll it does is if you are from you know I five corridor here in Oregon, and then you have to sit and spend some time with people from Eastern Washington or from rural Montana, and vice versa, you have to think differently. You have to engage. Um, even books like uh, there was a book I read in in one of the classes and. It's a great book that I've recommended to people. And, I, and I've also told them he's 100% wrong. Like he's factually wrong in some <laughs> things. And, and it's staggering to me that somebody who's as educated as, as uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Ra is that he's like, like in my 101 sociology class in undergrad, I could tell you that he's wrong about some of the things he says about uh -huh. racism. And uh -huh. it's like, and, but, but, but then you kind of go, okay, so get over that and then look at the, the bigger thing he's saying. And, yeah. and it's that kind of thing where you're forced to interact with ideas that you wouldn't, you have to get outside of your echo chamber. Yeah. Um, you know, you have to get annoyed at something that's being said by a student or professor because, you know, like it's part of education, it's, it's part, that's part of, of, of deal, training yeah. and it's going to be part of the church you're going to find yourself in or the, or the job or whatever. Yeah. I think you know, some people have said, well, I'll just, you know, there's tons of seminars out there. There's tons of books. I'll just, I'll just take the seminars and I'll just read the books. And the problem with that, like you said, is you tend to, you tend to learn more of what you already know. Like we tend to, we tend to want to specialize and, and to focus in and education kind of forces me to learn from people. I wouldn't select, read books. I wouldn't select, think about ideas I wouldn't have thought about. And theoretically, you know, you come out a with a with a with more depth and more width that then when you engage uh in the real world um you know it's it's you, you have you just have a broader set of skills that you can administer in any given situation so so that you know i think for me there's a lot of value there uh in the, again the traditional educational model instead of i'm just going to kind of select 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 and like social media the algorithms are going to design it so that I just keep selecting away from people that are not like me. And instead I'm gonna, instead I'm gonna submit myself to this process where I'm gonna be interacting with people I wouldn't choose and yeah. you know, to find a way forward together because isn't that kind of like church? Like, you know, like, I mean, I yeah. look around, I'm like, so folks, like if we were figuring out whether we'd be friends or not, we prob you probably wouldn't wanna be friends with me, but we're in church together. And church is different. And now we've got to figure out a way to be a fellowship of difference. Um, so, yeah. And, and I, I really believe in fighting the algorithm. Um, like YouTube's algorithm I, is very easy for me to spot when it does something right. And, uh, and sometimes like I, I was watching something cause I was trying to figure out how to fix something. And then, then for the next two days, it was all prepper how to build a doomsday bunker i'm like oh gosh now i have to fight the algorithm and like i'm like purposely like i'm purposely doing youtube searches and watching like 10 seconds of videos you yeah. know just to fight the algorithm uh -huh. Uh -huh. but i think there's value to that of it. i i told somebody um i told somebody that i cringe anytime somebody sends me a prager you video and and they were like why and and i realized i had offended their political sensibilities and i said it's not about your view on politics um it's that those videos are not really, they're, they're echo chamber academia. They're, they're, they're not somebody, they're, they're, they may have some value I, here or there, but like uh, that they're, they're designed to reinforce a pre-established position. And, and if with Prager, it's on the right. I've seen the exact same thing on the left, you know? Sure. They're designed, sure. They're designed to reinforce a pre-established position. Yeah. And, and there's never any like pushback to it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so the, the idea of being in, in class where, um, you know, you have a, a, like, I'm not the world's best preacher, but I'm okay at it, I think. And then you're in a preaching class and somebody says something and you're just like, what? But now I have to engage with this thing. Yeah. And it, I have to put my ego in check. Right. And I'm not going to get that when the algorithm is reinforcing my echo chamber. And I'm not, I'm not just talking about YouTube videos, but the, yeah. you know, the, the, gotcha. the things that we interact with and the, cause yeah. there, I think we do have like in a, in a kind of a, um, 
metaphorical sense, we have an algorithm in our life of the relationships we have and the people we're interacting with. Um, totally, totally. So. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, that that's something that, you know, now that I'm responsible for, you know, helping oversee the school, you ask those questions like, all right, and who's in, in who's teaching these courses? What are we communicating about what's most important? You know, because we have money, we could we could fly in MT right, or we, you know, I mean, that, that actually pretty awesome. Yeah. Can but, you do you that? Know, like, I'd I'd come back to school. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, we could go get the experts, and we could go get the best practitioners and things like that that have no relational connection to the people that we're training. Um, and they'd give some information, and they'd be a better presenter than me or somebody else or whatever. But that communicates something about what's most important. And, and so, you know, we do some of that with our chapel speakers and we bring in people outside our movement. But I guess I see PESM for me as generally, this is building a particular movement within the broader river of, of, of God's church. And, and so I want, yeah, I do want, I do want good practitioners. I want healthy practitioners. Um, but I want them to be within our, within our movement because the people that they're interacting with and that they're going to be re interacting with, um, you know, they're going to know them. And I guess that, that for me, that relational uh, connection and knowability, not just, not just in class, but for the future, that has a higher value for me personally than, than, well, I can, I, because I can, I can go listen to NT right on my own. I can listen yeah. to, you know, white snake on my, like I can go get my preferences and you're not going to like white snake, Ryan, just somewhere else. Yeah. Well, I was trying to like, callback you know this yeah. idea that it's like i've got to reinforce someone's preferences it's like no as a leader as a pastor as a dean i need to the best of my ability um seek to form you into a person that can then lead well with whatever context god calls you so i could be totally wrong and that's fine you know i'm okay with that um i think that's just some of the things we're we're navigating as a school and um yeah so, so, so if somebody, uh, if somebody listening wanted to find out more about PESM, what, what would they do? How would they find out more about the school? Yeah, they can check out. Uh, so we have a page on, on the PacificECNA.org website. You can go to PESM there and, and find out more. Um, you know, we have academic catalog and, and some videos and things like that. Uh, and then my contact info is there as well. So again, designed to be relational. They can connect with me. Uh, they can connect with you because you're alumni, like, you know, and there are others within our, our network and movement. Um, we're not exclusive in that sense. Like, you know, again, we've stayed very Northwest and very relational, but uh, if there are other pastors or leaders that, you know, that, that want to come be a part of it, I don't think we'd, we'd say, well, you're not like us, so you can't come uh, type of a thing. But that's, yeah, pacificucna.org slash PESM. And uh for now, that's still the horrible name we have because it it works. So, you know, I haven't, yeah. I haven't thought of anything better yet. And, uh, you know, school of ministry, like, means one thing. That one thing, again, if we're talking about words again, that one thing 20 years ago when it was formed, it means a different thing now. I mean, it is a seminary in that seedbed sense and the graduate level education sense. Um, but I understand 20 years ago why they didn't want to call it a seminary. So, yeah, that's kind of where where that came from. Sure, sure. Well, hey, man, thanks for thanks for hanging out and uh, appreciate Fine, appreciate spending time. So, uh, yeah. Ryan Thorson, uh, thank you for being the first guest on this podcast. And uh, yeah, my privilege, Adam. Thanks, and yeah, it was fun talking with you. All right, man.